1: I'll discuss the planet's ongoing 6th mass extinction with Professor Paul Ehrlich. Paul is President of the Center for Conservation Biology and Bing Professor of Population Studies at Stanford University. Professor Ehrlich, it is a privilege to welcome to the program.
0: It's nice to be here.
1: Professor Ehrlich's bio is of course posted on the podcast website. On background, over approximately the past 450 million years, our planet has experienced five mass extinctions, substantially due to vulcanization, that has caused oceans and the atmosphere to become highly hypoxic. Each extinction has destroyed between 70 and 95% of all plants, animals, and microorganisms. The current extinction is the result of direct or indirect human activities. According to the UN International Governmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, or IPBES, the main causes of the current extinction are, in descending order, man-made changes in land and sea use, human exploitation of animals and plants, anthropocentric global warming, and human-caused pollution. It should go without saying, policymakers cannot coherently address human health without simultaneously accounting for the biosphere's health. Since I recently posted a link to the House Select Committee on the Climate Crisis's June 30th report titled, Solving the Climate Crisis, it is important to note there is no mention of the ongoing 6th mass extinction in the committee's 547-page report, nor did the Climate Crisis Committee ever discuss the ongoing 6th mass extinction in any of its hearings over the last 17 months. With me again to discuss the subject, more specifically his recently co-authored Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences article, Vertebrates on the Brink as Indicators of Biological Annihilation and the Sixth Mass Extinction, is again Stanford's Paul Ehrlich. Finally, I encourage listeners to download any or all of the approximately 10 previous climate crisis-related interviews I've conducted over the past several years. So, with that, Professor Ehrlich, let me go to my first question, and that is for background, can you provide an overview of where we are relative to the extent or the damage done relative to the ongoing sixth mass extinction?
0: Well, uh, it's very simple. It be, most people talk about uh, the mass extinctions in terms of uh, the number of species or the proportion of species that have disappeared. Uh, But scientists know that that's not anywhere near the best measure. The best measure of an extinction crisis is uh, how many populations, how many individuals of other organisms are disappearing, because uh, we could very easily uh, not uh, lose a single additional species and be wiped out ourselves for the lack of the ecosystem services that our other plants, animals, or microorganisms on the planet supply us with. For example, uh, the honeybees in North America supply pollination services that some people estimate are valued at about a um, $1 billion a year. Uh, excuse me, $19 billion a year. Uh, but if we killed off the North American honeybees, the species wouldn't be gone. They're common in Africa. Uh, it's common in Africa and in Southeast Asia and so on and yet we would take the loss in North America. And what we're uh, seeing now is a dramatic destruction of the biodiversity on the planet entirely, and I emphasize entirely, because of human actions. Uh, And the basic problem in the overview is there are a, too many of us, on average, we consume too much, uh, and we're competing with the other organisms of the planet for the basic life support that the planet can supply us. And it is not just uh, human beings that are doing it. There's also uh, our domestic animals. The vast majority of mammals on the planet are now human beings and cattle. Uh, and the very small portion of natural uh, organism, natural uh, animals that are left, uh, is tiny. Uh, it depends on who makes the estimate. but something on the Uh, in the area of about 10%. And this is one of the truly existential threats to human civilization. And right now, uh, we're suffering a long-predicted pandemic that is very tightly connected to the fact that we're destroying the biodiversity of the planet.
1: Okay, thank you. In your related 2017 uh, proceedings article, you mentioned the Living Planet Index, who provides some uh, numbers, correct me if I'm wrong, but you note that that index cited that wildlife abundance on the planet has decreased by as much as 58% between 1970 and 2012. Is that correct?
0: Uh, I don't remember the actual percentage. These are just rough estimates. Basically, I have personally witnessed uh a huge decline in the number of other organisms on the planet. Uh, Of course, I did not witness the extinction of the passenger pigeon, uh, but I have actually had to deal with the medical community on the possibility of having Lyme disease, which uh, is a very serious disease in North America and Europe at the moment and uh, thought to be traceable largely to the disappearance of the passenger pigeon. Uh, in my own work on insects, I have observed a dramatic decline in the insects uh, that I deal with. And uh, as is reported by many people uh, who watch birds, the decline of birds, for example, in North America, has been very dramatic. The, the idea that somewhere in the vicinity of half of our wildlife, depending on exactly how you define wildlife, has disappeared in the last 40 years ago, is about the best we can do. Because unhappily, we don't have scientists out there studying all the wildlife all the time. It's a huge job. But everybody who does it, who looks at those things, sees the same phenomenon. That is dramatic loss caused by human activities.
1: Okay, thank you. This has been widely reported in the last few years, and you cite it in uh, your June 2020 piece and that, is uh, studies in Germany, uh, national parks, the estimate is about 75% of all flying insects in German national parks have disappeared in the last uh, 25 years. Um, let me... Let me uh, go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: I was just going to say, anybody roughly my age or less, I'm 88, if you're over 60, you can probably remember the days when you drove around uh, and you often had, in the summer... You often had to stop the car and clean the windshield or pull butterflies out of the radiator because it was getting clogged because there were so many bugs out. And when you went to a bar at night, there was often moths swarming around the uh, the lights outside of the bar. Uh, that's gone. It's not only gone here. It's gone, for example, where we worked in Costa Rica. So it, this isn't a matter of uh, having to take careful note of what's happening Uh It's like uh, if you are watching a beach being eroded, you don't have to know the name of every grain of sand on it or have counted the grains of sand to know the beach is eroding. And field scientists know that biodiversity is eroding and eroding fast, and we know why.
1: Per your point, I would spend summers in northern Minnesota uh, and you're right, the, the number of insects have just dramatically declined or disappeared uh, there. A lot of this is due to, and you, when you read about research describing this, has to do with uh, this issue of loss of geographic range. Can you explain that?
0: Well, sure. Uh, it's most obvious in the big things that people notice. For example, lions used to occur in, um, throughout much of southern asia uh... and into uh... into india and overall virtually all of africa now if you see a map of the lions distribution there's one tiny population in northeastern india and then scattered populations in various parts of africa but the vast majority of lions are gone and this is what we're observing with virtually everything that's kept track of that is the range is shrinking. The number of populations is going. Uh, and, uh, for example, in the eastern United States, one of the super common butterflies used to be a thing called the zebra swallowtail, Graphium marcellus. Uh, and uh, there are reports from the last part of the end of the 19th century of valleys full of this butterfly. I collected butterflies in the eastern United States starting back in the 1940s through much like current time. I've seen one in my entire lifetime, and that's typical. Uh, Things still exist, but the number of populations, the number of uh, birds of various species that you can see and so on has been reduced dramatically. If you go to the Caribbean and go scuba diving, uh, you're going to find that most of the Fish, if you were there 30 years ago, are now gone from the coral reefs. Uh, we are losing our biodiversity, and we're part of the biodiversity, and we're embedded in it and dependent on it for services that we can't do without. Yes,
1: thank you. On butterflies, uh, obviously, much press attention relative to the monarch uh, butterfly. Let me ask, particularly, you know, the, the, the study I cite is your research on vertebrates. Um, you do mention and you phrase it as the amphibian holocaust, and this seems to be uh, a species that is particularly endangered. What explains that?
0: Well, amphibians, first of all, uh, have picked a lifestyle that makes them rather vulnerable. That is, uh, they're dependent, most of them are dependent on fresh water for part of their life cycle, and then they have to go on land. They go on land for the rest of it, but have to be have moisture available as we change the climate uh, that is dramatically affecting all organisms but especially uh, the ones that are dependent on fresh water in certain distributions and on top of that and maybe the single biggest cause of the uh, holocaust that's wiping out the frogs um, is a uh, fungus that we human beings are transporting around the world and which are wiping out population after population of amphibia. But changing the climate should tell you where the main threat is. If you are a gardener or a tropical fish enthusiast, you know how tightly organisms are tied to their environments. If you keep tropical fish in Minnesota in the winter, and your heater goes out in your aquarium, you come in the next morning, they're all floating on the top of the surface, dead. If in Minnesota you plant a tropical plant in an exposed area and forget to cover it over in the winter, guess what? It dies. Uh, things are adapted to certain climate conditions, and we are changing the climate as rapidly as we possibly can. Possibly can. The current gang of thugs in Washington is doing everything it can to speed climate change, uh, and yet uh, people are not noticing that that's tied very closely to what's happening and what's going to happen to our life support systems. Yes,
1: yeah, so we'll get to uh, uh, Washington in a second. Um, obviously, global warming is occurring or the crisis at twice the rate in the Arctic and the Antarctic, so increasing discussions about uh, polar bears. Let me ask you about, um, you do touch upon this issue relative to the penalty we'll pay and that is the loss of genetic information. Can you uh, discuss that, please?
0: Well, uh, the loss of genetic information is most obvious and most critical in the area of crops. That is, uh, we are wiping out population after population of the relatives of crops, which are sources uh, of the genetic information we need to have to stay in high-yield agriculture. We're already in a situation where roughly 2 billion of the 8 billion people on the planet have inadequate diets, not the proper micronutrients, often not enough calories. And in order to make that better, we need to be able to adopt crops to the rapid change that we're bringing on with climate change. Uh, And the way you do that is by using genetic material to select out... uh, new strains which will be more resistant to drought or more resistant to flooding or whatever. Uh, and But in order to do that, you have to have the reservoir uh, of populations of relatives, wild relatives of the crop plants. And that's one of the parts of biodiversity that we're losing and a critical part. Uh, if you think you need to keep eating, if you don't need to keep eating, then vote for Trump.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you. Let me ask you. Um outside of, and, and this gets me into uh, the policy realm, o- outside of the scientific community, what's your sense of the response uh, to research on this subject? I mentioned in my opening that to my surprise, although not complete surprise, uh, the Select Committee on the Climate Crisis didn't even come close to identifying uh, the subject, much less write about it. But What's been your sense of the response to your research, or more generally, uh, discussion and, and research findings on this subject?
0: Oh, well, the scientific response has been excellent because, or I should say excellent, but it's been widespread because, of course, the scientific community is dreadfully worried about the existential threats uh, that are uh, uh, now approaching our civilization. The big issue in the scientific community, is there any way we can delay a collapse of our civilization or even, if we were extremely lucky, avoid it? Um, there's now a big literature on that topic. There have been several attempts by the scientific uh, community as a community to warn humanity. In mm-hmm. 19, I think it was 1992, there was the World Scientists warning to humanity just a year or so ago. Something I think it was now 15,000 scientists signed on to a second warning saying, If we don't do something about too much population, too much overconsumption, uh, too much use of the wrong technologies, ignoring our life support systems, that we're going to go down the drain. Um, And uh, so from that point of view, it's very well, our research has been very well received. Virtually everything we've done has been published in uh, refereed scientific journals. But of course... The war on science is now being won by the Republicans. Uh, there's a, right now, a, you're seeing a gigantic, a gigantic threat of pandemic, a pandemic that was been long pre- uh, predicted, and we expect to have more of them, and it's being totally bungled. You're seeing hundreds of thousands of Americans dying needlessly because they're not paying any attention to what is the most elementary science, uh, so I, I wish I could be cheery about it, but the, the uh, I'm in meeting after meeting with scientists trying to figure out how to get the science out there to save lives. Uh, but it's very difficult. If you've watched the mass media, for example, they never make the connection between the loss of biodiversity and the pandemic that we're you know that we're suffering right now, uh, and that's very sad, and that's. Uh, a few minutes after this, I'll be on another meeting about on that very same topic.
1: You know, I can't agree more. I followed uh, closely, or have followed closely this subject for several decades, and U.S. media coverage of of this subject, the related climate crisis, is been consistently anemic. It's it's really unbelievable, and in part why I cover this subject increasingly <laughs> obsessively, Um you did mention, I'll just be clear, this you were referencing the letter by it was eleven thousand scientists from one hundred and forty three countries in bioscience last November, basically yeah, saying that's one of the yeah,
0: things I was referring to. Right, that to,
1: we're, we're basically um running out of time. Let, let me ask you about uh, two proposed you know, you've talked about in your work, uh you know, the population issue. We're pushing eight billion overpopulation causing uh you know, are over-consuming the biomass. Uh, there, there are more recent proposals about protecting 30 percent of the planet's land air area. Um, to what extent is your sense of how this latter issue, uh, more land conservation, is evolving?
0: Well, uh, well, all the things are evolving in the wrong direction. <laughs> as long as you keep the population growing and the demand on the resources of the planet growing perpetually this is you know there are probably i don't know how many economics departments in the united states and every last one of them uh... is based on and and it's not every economist but every department uh, is based on the mythical idea that somehow you can grow forever on a finite planet uh... and this is you know patently nonsense even to non-scientists but it persists Uh, for reasons that we don't want to get into, but as long as you have a growth manic society, as long as your politicians think the solution is growth, when the problem is growth, when the disease is growth, you're going to be in trouble. And when you finally, you know, a lot of the inequities in our society should be dealt with to help with this problem. For example, if you want to do something about the loss of biodiversity or the climate crisis, One of the things you should be doing is working hard for uh, giving women full rights, full opportunities, and access to uh, modern contraception and safe abortion. That's the step that we know will work. It's a step that hopefully everybody is in favor of because of the simple ethical uh, demands on it. Same way with our economic inequities. If you want to have everybody working to make the world a better place for everybody, you want people to be able to think about things besides where they're going to get their next meal and how they're not going to be starved by uh, the Republicans taking their money and giving it to the rich. Uh, And that means the economic inequity is part of the big problem uh, that we're facing. So you can't separate our huge social problems from the fact that we're destroying our life support system and that civilization is teetering on the brink or already sliding down the drain. Hard to tell as we turn fascist in the United States.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, You mentioned uh, family planning. I did do an interview just to note, this is the Trump administration expansion of the so-called global gag rule. Um, This was uh, begun under the Reagan administration. Um, Yeah. Just a final question or two. Um, if you could spell out a bit more, you conclude in your 17 article, the resulting biological annihilation will obviously have serious ecological, economic, and social consequences. Humanity will eventually pay a very high price. You did mention uh, the problem with uh, the climate crisis as it relates to micronutrients in plant foodstuffs, uh, drought, of course, a related issue. Uh, what else are we in for? Uh, well, relative to the loss of biodiversity? I,
0: I, sus- I suspect that the biggest problem will come originally through food uh, because, of course, that's something we all have to have, and that's where the various biodiversity issues and the climate issue. I mean, when people, one of the things about the media is they're always talking about sea level rise. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you almost there's some... Possibilities, But the chances are you, even if you're on a coastline, you'll be able to walk away from sea level rise. Uh, but the agriculture is utterly dependent upon the climate, uh, and climate change can rapidly, hit agriculture, we're already seeing problems uh, with the nutrition in plants. For example, the more CO2 we put into the atmosphere, the less nutritious most of our main crops become. Uh, because they are able to grow Faster. more rapidly yes. uh, with the CO2, but don't are not able to have the time to pick up the nutrients they need to make themselves uh, better for us. So, um, that's food is going to be a huge thing. But there are other possibilities. Uh, the refusing that is the f u z i n g of our nuclear triad of the of the uh, submarine launch ballistic missiles. Uh, is increasing the chances of an all-out nuclear war by accident or by plan. Uh, and uh, this is something the U.S. is doing, scaring the Russians very badly. Uh, and if we have a large-scale nuclear war, we know from the studies we did in the 1980s, there's even a chance you might wipe out humanity entirely, but certainly you could end civilization with no problem. Uh, equally, uh, the oh, we're now seeing... According to some people, it's very uh, controversial. It declines in the human sperm count, possibly uh, related to the distribution of hormone mimicking novel chemicals that we manufacture and spread everywhere without the slightest care. Uh, and uh, if we get rid of, if we, all the sperm counts go down, that's another way uh, we could get rid of humanity. Um, I, I'm reminded of the old story from the women's liberation movement. Uh, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. bicycle
1: yes, right. Yeah. Yes.
0: Well, uh, we're moving in that direction, too. The po- the toxification of the planet is dramatic, and we're not sure what of the many things we're facing uh, uh, is, is tied to that toxification. So there's lots of ways we can bring down civilization, but I think the climate, biodiversity, uh, and pandemic connection is one. There's no guarantee at all that the next thing, that after all, the, the SARS-2 epidemic we're seeing now is tied very tightly to the wildlife trade and the wet markets in Southeast Asia and China. Uh, and uh, that's no guarantee at all that the next virus that transfers from one of those markets or from the Chinese pig duck uh, pond system, uh won't be so lethal that it spreads, and we really wipe out humanity. It's not impossible for a virus to wipe out humanity, as Nobel laureate Joshua Lederberg pointed out decades ago. Uh, but we don't pay attention. Again, there was not the slightest surprise in the present COVID epidemic. It has been predicted forever. Uh, We've known for a long time exactly what sorts of things made it more probable. We've had dear misses in the past, uh, and here we are with a totally incompetent, evil response to it. We could save so many lives today if we had any leadership in the United States, if we had a president, for example. uh, Then we could start saving lives right away. Uh, There's no debate at all in the scientific community what has to be done it's tightly tied again to the wildlife trade, which is a major source of the reduction of biodiversity. Um,
1: so, thank you. I'll just make note that you mentioned the threat of uh, nuclear arms, and that begs the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists and the Doomsday Clock statement, which they, you probably know this year, moved up to eleven fifty-eight and twenty seconds, meaning war, uh, that midnight being uh, doom. I know you have another commitment or meeting, so I appreciate this overview of the subject. And with that, I'll say thank you, and let's hope that possibly the next Congress or the next White House administration uh, pays attention. So I'll leave it with that, and thank you for your comments.
0: Thank you. My fingers are crossed, and thank you for doing it. You're most welcome. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast, hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others. To see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.